Ryan Yee. Hello and welcome back to Eventide Radio. This is a fan-made Destiny podcast where we have roundtable discussions about a variety of different topics concerning the popular video game franchise. At its core, the show is about having in-depth discussions about the game from a variety of different perspectives. I'm your host, Scotty, with me is my co-host, Rob, and today we're talking about our first impressions of the new season, Season of the Seraph. I believe this is like Season 19, I think. Correct. So to quote the Bungie.net page, how they describe it is that the Hive God of War... Uh, for the uninitiated, Zivu Arath moves to seize control of Rasputin's network of weaponized satellites. In her hands, she would turn his devastating power on the last city to stop her. The Vanguard has authorized special covert operations armed with the War Might's most advanced weaponry. Agents conducting these operations are known as Seraphs. So, spoiler warning ahead for the first week of Season of the Seraph. We're recording this on the Monday after release, so tomorrow would start week two. So we just got the week one content to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about the basic activities of the season, the whole gameplay loop, which includes the uh, heist battlegrounds and the operations, I believe they're called. Uh, we'll talk about the story and then we'll talk about some of the new loot we've got this season. So I'm going to skip the part where we talk about what we've been up to this week in Destiny because I know exactly what we've been up to this week in Destiny. <laughs> and that's what we've, uh, we've been doing the, the new season, of course. So um let's just jump right into it so rob if you want to summarize in a couple sentences your first impression of season of the seraph uh and then we'll save the dungeon for later so don't include the dungeon. Sure. yeah yeah so yeah we're we're focusing on just the season not the dungeon so that's an important distinction although if it comes up in conversation i apologize um so first impressions uh, so I do want to, I know we've kind of talked about it in previous podcasts as we were getting closer to this season, um, kind of the general sentiment of the community that uh, the seasonal models getting stale, uh, stagnation, we need some innovation, tired of the seven by three grid, all that fun stuff, although this season it's seven by two, um, yada, yada, all that stuff. Um didn't have much expectations for it to change. Uh, Joe Blackburn has since come out after the season release and was like, yep, we're very much aware of the general fatigue of this seasonal model. Don't expect anything until maybe season 21 or later. Um, they did say, I think, for Lightfall itself, that expansion, that they are going to be innovative. And I think he said, quote unquote, like, take some risks um, with kind of the the design and layout of kind of that part of it. So. Uh, all of that aside, I was kind of expecting the typical seven by X grid, um, the seasonal activity itself, um, heist battlegrounds or battlegrounds heist, I think is very cool. Um, I have been obviously very outspoken that the core playlists of strikes, crucible gambit are in dire need to kind of build on and expand on. And I am genuinely hoping that this and the PsyOps Battlegrounds from Season of the Risen, which is the Witch Queen launch season, um, I am hoping both of those get incorporated into the Vanguard slash Strike playlist because they are about the same length of strikes. They kind of play out as strikes. There's a boss at the end. Um, it has those kind of like story beats, story in quotes, um, to the actual activity itself. Um, 
they're fun, they're engaging. Like any any seasonal thing, you're going to play the living hell out of it and kind of burn yourself out uh, because you want to get all the different weapons and triumphs and all the fun stuff. Uh, but I like it. That's the the TLDR version. It's cool. Uh, there's a really neat modifier that uh, basically puts you always at five points or five power level or light level behind the enemies. Uh, so no matter what, you're always going to have a little bit of a difficulty um, to the encounter as opposed to just being able to be over leveled and nuke everything, uh, which is great. And that speaks to, hey, how are we going to innovate on difficulty? How do we make you know, how do we slowly maybe siphon out power level out of the game? Um, and I think this is a step in the right direction. The difficulty felt fresh. It felt engaging. I actually was like needing to take cover behind things and plan out attacks and kind of coordinate. Like I, I ran some against with some randos and then also with some clan mates and coordinating some of the attacks against certain enemies and things with teammates felt really, really good. Um, and you were rewarded for having clever combat engagement. So I liked it. That's the short version. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I wish I could be the voice of opposition and make this a little more interesting, but I agree. I actually, um, I enjoy it, even though it is, you know, the same seasonal model. Um, that's not going to change for a while, but right. I I liked it. I, I Like you said, I think the difficulty for the heist battleground thing is like very refreshing like you said i think that's a good word for it because we haven't had a uh like seasonal or playlist activity that's been that challenging in a while so that's really nice um i think it's cool uh people complain about not having a new location in this but we technically do because we get to go deeper into the right uh, bunkers and whatnot and it's cool to see that and everything i think there's some cool locations uh the story of it is always really important for me that's kind of why i checked out of plunder because i didn't really care what was happening it was getting a little redundant but the the concept for this one seems cool and it's got some of my favorite and in my opinion some of the more well-written characters in the game because it involves osiris i love osiris clovis i think is awesome mara is somehow a part of this i'm very surprised but pleasantly surprised that she's going to be a part of this um i love the ikelos weapons and stuff if that's how you pronounce that uh so those came back and all the seventh seraph stuff in terms of like uh what loot we're getting um all in all honestly i think it's a so far uh it's cool Uh, i like the the core activities i think the concept uh story-wise is interesting and looking forward to see where it goes but um to break this down, let's start by talking about Heist Battleground specifically. We already kind of touched on it, but this is kind of the main thing of the season as far as I'm concerned, because this is the thing you're going to be repeating over and over. So I believe, I want to say it's only the moon one that's out. But I saw somewhere that like... No, Europa is also available. How do you see the... How do you get to the Europa one? Is that part of the... That's not part of the quest, is it? Like the main story quest? So it's a little like buggy we'll say so you can you can access it from europa from like the directory um but it's not is it part of the playlist so so yes it is um never got (laughs) you don't really you don't have to play it first in order to access it i was kind of wondering about that because the first couple times it was like i kept getting the moon um have you actually unlocked access to the playlist because i know that was like kind of a, a weird thing the first day um, yeah, I believe so. I think I, pl- I played through the whole 
opening quest line and okay at the point where it's like you got to wait for clovis to discover more information okay so you did get the because you have to get like 500 of the seraph keys um because that's all stuff yeah. yeah exactly so you open the chest at the end of the playlist version okay so it sounds like you did get yeah so there is the europa version does appear and it basically plays out um like the first level the intro so so yeah when you first load into the season you start outside of kind of the Braytech facility. Um, there's a new kind of mechanic, uh, which we'll talk about also in the operations version, where there's the towers that you basically have to take cover from. And then in 15 seconds, they lock onto you and immediately insta kill you. Because I, I did get hit by it once because I wanted to see what happens. It's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, you, so you load into that same base area. You have to infiltrate. You get all the way to Clovis Bray's head. Uh, spoilers, there's a giant Clovis Bray head if you haven't done the Beyond Light campaign. Um, uh, and then basically behind him opens another bunker, and that's where you jump down. Um, so there's like kind of a big cliff pit behind him, and down below there's a another bunker, um, and that's where you kind of continue on and you have a, a different boss down there. I won't spoil it for you. Um, but yeah, so there is, there is the Europa uh, version uh, and it, like I said, it plays out like the first mission. Obviously, there's a lot more enemies, and um, there's the Death Tongue or whatever the heck they're called, which we'll talk about also. Um, but yeah, so there's two currently. I think there's going to be at least one more, maybe two more, um, that presumably get unlocked throughout the season. But as of right now, there's just the Moon and Europa one. Gotcha. And then the operations are going to come out week to week. Assuming, yes. So we gotcha. just had Archimedes, right? Is that the first one? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, for some reason, I never got the year. I've played. The, I played the playlist a couple times. That okay. I still. I've only gotten the moon, so that's weird. But anyways, interesting. But you should be able to access it if you just want to like play it to play. You should be able to access it from Europa, Europa. in the directory. Okay. I believe so. And it's got like the little symbol with wings on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will go check that out then. Okay. What do you think of? What do you think of this activity as a whole? What do you think? Well, actually, let's start with. What do you think of the towers and the battle song thing in that beginning part of these heist battlegrounds? Yes. So, so new mechanics. Yes. So, um, so there's the towers, which are I think really neat because it adds a little bit of a like you you ha- again playing into you have to be strategic. You can't just be out in the open hacking everything up, um, because you will eventually get punished if you're exposed for too long. Um, so that's kind of neat. Uh, I like the operations mission because it actually, in order to infiltrate the bunker, there's a lot more of those towers. And so you're actually playing a little bit of a cat and mouse game, which is cool. Um, but then the the death tongue, I can't think of what they're called. I'm I'm blinking on it. Or song, singer, tongue, I know, things. I know battle songs, what the mechanic is called. I don't yeah. know who the people are that I sing know. dead song. <laughs> well, I, I have, I normally I'm looking at like, dim and like reading all the the little like currency cues and things like that and the the um the triumph so i can kind of reference those things but yeah, essentially there's an acolyte that's got a hell of a lot of uh health and and each one each one of the heists it appears at the begin. it's pretty early on in the moon one and then the europa one it's like about halfway through when it appears um so it's at a different place but basically there's like one of those like hive spire things and the acolyte will appear and he'll kind of make a mad dash for that spire and you'll get 
like an audio cue that lets you know and like Marasov will call out like, hey, you better go stop him. Um, Because if you if the acolyte gets to the spire and completes the song ritual, then basically there's like a huge buff to all the enemies around, uh, including the champions. And they are a hell of a lot harder to kill as well as uh, your abilities get either drained or like suppressed. Uh, But it's a bad time for you. Uh, And so there's like a triumph to actually like kill them before they're able to successfully like get the battle song. Um, And so the idea is, and this makes it very difficult when you're playing with randoms versus like in a, you know, with, with actually being able to communicate because basically as soon as they appear, you all want to concentrate fire on it. And if you, you know, maybe burn your super on it, you'll, you'll, you'll kill it. But it not only do you not get the triumph progress, but it also punishes you pretty severely. Uh, and it's cool. Uh, it's a neat mechanic because it, it, again, you can't just hack away at everything because usually a bunch of other enemies appear at the same time. And so you have to kind of like m- make that choice of not focusing on all these other ads, but just trying to take out one sole enemy. But the benefit in the long run is it makes all the other enemies easier to kill once you take him down, um, which is really cool. And I think during the Lightfall reveal, they hinted that there's going to be those darkness enemies that basically do something similar where they drain your your uh, ability energy or they kind of semi-suppress you. And so this is kind of like a an early, you know, precursor to that. And it plays really, really well to the the battle scenario where, again, the complaint that people have been having, especially since the subclass 3.0 came out, is like you can just torch an entire field of enemies um, pretty easily. And so coming up with these kind of new clever ways where you have to actually think about how you're engaging with the the that specific area and those enemies and how you're kind of dealing combat. Um, there's actually thought that goes into it now. And so it's kind of nice to to have to have that conversation with your teammates of like, no, we need to go for it. Drop everything you're doing. Um, it's, just, totally. it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air and it's nice. And I like yeah. I dig it. I'm totally with you. It, it adds to like the um, this is not my original analogy, but someone else used the analogy of like the, the chess game idea of where you have mm-hmm. to like prioritize certain enemies on the field, depending on, you know, the situation. So, oh, I got to kill this guy before I kill this guy or so and so, et cetera, right. et cetera. So that's a very cool idea. And like you said, um, we have so many like AOE clear options right that it's it's nice to challenge that in a sense right um the fact that we have new mechanics happening here at all that aren't like gambit or ball related is awesome (laughs) so glad it's amazing uh i just wish they were in like the rest of the heists because they're only at the beginning as far as at least in the moon one and i kind of wish they were in the rest of them because i think it's a cool idea because you get to fight like one of those battle song death tongue people. Right. Once, and then you're kind of done. And I just, I just, I wish you got to do it more. Uh, and the towers are cool too. I wish there was like that mechanic was worked in somehow through the rest of it. But either yeah. way, it's very cool. I mean, I think, I think it's a neat idea and I hope it gets, I don't know, built upon in the future. Yeah. But it, so I, without giving up, too much the the europa one does kind of i'll say semi remedying this like you still only have the one death tongue but each kind of segment 
has like a different flavor. So you first get into the Braytech facility um, and you have to clear out enemies and there's some champions and you have to kind of hop back and forth between the two areas. Um, and then you get into where you're kind of descending down to Bray's head and that's where the death tongue is. Um, I keep wanting to say death singer, but that's not what it is. Um, it's not ear Ute. Um, but you, you take him out and then when you get to Clovis Bray's head, there's actually a different kind of thing that you have to accomplish there. That's different from the mission. Uh, it's different from the, the hive chant. Um, but it's, it's different. Um, and I will say it's it's interesting and it it at least kind of, again, forces you to think a little bit about how you're engaging with the combat. Uh-huh. Um, and then you get down to the bunkers and you have to do a very similar thing where you have to steal like the battery so you can break the seals. And then the boss arena is different. Um, so I will say there's probably three or four different types of things to do throughout the Europa one. Um, that I, I do agree with you that the, the moon one feels a little samey relative, mm-hmm. but I will say the Europa one is a little more engaging. Um, and hopefully you'll kind of see what I mean when you finally do get it. Okay. Um, but I, I, I agree it would be nice to see more specifically that, but then it might feel kind of samey when you're doing like two or three of those throughout the same battlegrounds. So at least like each, we'll say, room has a different thing to do um to a certain degree so it, it it at least kind of breaks up the the monotony or yeah um, for sure so but I, I i i do agree with your sentiment like it's kind of a bummer there's only one of those where it'd be kind of be kind of neat if maybe they were a little bit easier but there was more of them or maybe at one point there's like two of them mm-hmm. uh and so just just something to kind of change up that strategy but i i do agree with you it's it's kind of a bummer you only get one throughout the entire encounter where it's like oh this is kind of a neat mechanic can we have more of this yeah it feels like they were like unconfident in their own yes like thing that they made they're like we'll just only put a little bit of it in right at the beginning i was like no i like it but uh how does how do these battlegrounds compare to the ones from say season of the chosen for you i like these more um I it's funny just before we started recording, I was doing a little bit of just playing strikes because I felt like kind of just finishing some bounties. And uh I did one of the I did the first Psyops Battlegrounds that you do the one on Nessus. Um that one's pretty cool. I would say this and the uh you're asking about the yeah, season of the chosen. Um I would say these ones and the PsyOps Battlegrounds are way more interesting. Um, and it show like, you can kind of, really now that we've had kind of three iterations of these Battlegrounds, uh, you can really kind of see the development in terms of, like, complexity, um, engagement. It's not just throw a bunch of ads, which was one of the one of the positive things about the Season of the Chosen One, where it's like, okay, we at least have a lot of enemies to deal with, and it can be overwhelming if you're not paying attention. So that's a good start. Um, but then like the psyops ones added a little bit of like a mechanic thing with like the, the psionic sphere or spear. And like in the one on the Cosmodrome, you're escorting a cart. Like, so that's, again, you're like doing something other than just going to a location, nuking enemies, going to another location. Like you have to be doing something cognizant along the way to make the progress. Um, 
And with this, you're still killing enemies, but you have to do it in a craftful way. So it's like, it at least feels different. And again, harping and iterating on that kind of initial idea of just going to a place and killing enemies. Um, and even then, the the battlegrounds had you pick up the batteries and blow up the generator. So I'll, I'll give it credit for at least that. It's like something different. So um, I would say these are definitely more interesting and engaging and the, the locales are cool. Like like you said, I like all the the war mine, the serif bunker, like that art aesthetic is really, really neat. Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of fun to like when you think about. And I, you could kind of say, well, it's all retconned or whatever. But like when you think about like going back to playing D1 and you first land on the moon and then now, you know, like, oh, this bunker has been here all along. It kind of adds some cool, almost like mystique to it, where it's like, what else is hiding underneath, you know, and and kind of adds to the excitement. So it's like the deeper you go into the bunker, it's more and more exciting where it's like, wow, this is all and it all it all still feels very samey or, or not samey, but it all still feels like it belongs into the universe that we've been slowly building up for the last eight years. So I like it. Yeah, I like it, too. I think. I'm with you. I think either the psyops or the heist ones that we have this time are would be my favorite iteration of the battlegrounds. I can't decide though, because honestly, sure. the psyops ones were kind of cool. I haven't played them in a while, but right. when you mentioned like the synaptic spear and stuff, I'm thinking back to like the those like Savathun boss fights were pretty sick. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I, I like a, I like this. Um, the war mind aesthetic is really neat, and I love seeing the like. It's always impressive seeing like the scale of these like war mine facilities. Right. They just keep going and going. And then there's these like vast open spaces like on the moon one where you have to like open the the door, like the the seals and stuff. Uh, right. If you look like left or right, there's just these like extremely long hallways of just stuff all over the place. Yeah. And I'll bring up the dungeon for like five seconds because in that like the first jumping part of that, because uh, that's also a war mine thing. Right. As far as I'm concerned. But, you know, there's a bunch of like, you could just like see just how huge this place is. And it's always very cool. Yes. I think it's a cool aesthetic. Yeah. Cool area to explore. Um, let's discuss the operations. I believe that's what they're called, right? Because uh, this one was called Operation yes. Archimedes. So I'm assuming I, they're all called Operation something. I believe so. All right, sweet. So I think these are essentially the story missions, quote unquote, kind of like in... The first thing that came to mind was the splicer missions. Right. Um, so like that. So this first one, we go to the EDZ. And uh, different mechanics a little bit. There's more towers in the, the beginning. I could say that. Right. Um, which was cool. And you get inside. Eventually, the boss is, is different. Um, you fight an ogre. I'm trying to remember correctly. You fight a big ogre. And it's a so. wrathborn ogre. Right. And I thought it was super cool when Anna was referencing the... Uh, season of the hunt stuff just like oh i yes. read about this in crow's journals uh yes his field logs or whatever yeah yeah yes. yeah and so you do the same kind of mechanic you did with the the wrathborn guys from season of the hunt where you have to kill a particular enemy stand in the pool to deal damage to break their shield which was cool it was a cool little callback yep i don't think it's a, a bad idea to reuse that mechanic i thought that was neat um but what did you think of our first uh season of the seraph quote-unquote story mission so uh I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple things out. So first of all, I really like the mission. I thought having a we'll call it a stealth part uh felt really cool. It was giving me a little bit of the uh do you remember in the Taken King 
uh, when you go basically to the Crotozen raid and you have to like you're invisible and you have to like avoid the being picked up on the by the scent of like by the hive or whatever and if they track you then they like kill you um vaguely so yeah so you have to like you have to get a piece of a part of crota's like uh essence or whatever and so you have to go to where they're having his like funeral where the throne room or was it the beginning was yeah so you you basically you start at the beginning of the dun of the raid i call it a dungeon um (laughs) you basically start at the end of the first encounter where you cross the, the bridge of light and go into uh Crota's Stone World. Um and you have to like cross the bridge. And the entire time it's actually done in third person, which is like the only mission I think we've ever done that's third person. And like basically there's like a, a red ring around each of the hive because they're basically kind of patrolling around. Um and if you walk in that they they detect you because they can like smell you or something. You because <laughs> you know like the, the first mission where you go to the Cosmodrome, you have to steal the te- the stealth technology um mm-hmm. that Cade teaches you how to like go invisible. Yeah. And then yeah, you're basically yeah. running around and then you have to get all the way up to where you do the ear ute in the final encounter with Crota, and you have to s- absorb part of his essence and then survive while uh Eris Morn like pulls you out. And it's like it's like the third or fourth mission of the Taken King. Um but basically it plays all like stealth because you have to like kind of follow the patterns of the hive walking back and forth. Um and it's just completely different from anything that the the game had ever thrown at you before mm-hmm. and this kind of feels that same way where you're like why wow, i have to actually like look for cover and be kind of stealthy and because you have like a 15 second time from the moment the lasers spot you to when they evaporate you essentially and so you have to kind of like and once you go into cover it you don't immediately refresh it you have to like kind of let the the cooldown come up and and then you get that full 15 seconds back and so you have to kind of think harshly and at the same time there's hive that are kind of shooting at you. And so you like, well, do I peek out of cover so I can take this thing out or do I let it kind of continue to shoot at me and then just kind of keep running? So again, there was some actual like thought and innovation put into it. I enjoyed it. Uh, My only wish, this is going to be kind of an elitist mentality. I kind of wish it was like a darkness zone. So if you screwed up, you had to like start over. over. I was going to say something similar. I wish it was harder. Yeah. I do too. And and this is the first one of its kind, so maybe they'll get progressively harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really did like it. Um, and again, it's just because it felt so different than anything we've really gotten in a long time that's neat. And and you brought up the season of the splicer, the uh I forgot what those missions are called. Um and some of them felt kind of samey because it was just like a big vast jumping puzzle, but at least it was like different it wasn't my favorite activity um but it was different and had like a mix of combat and jumping and it was kind of hectic because you had to do it like quickly and it was just different you know and i you know keep saying that word when but you know that's been kind of the the theme recently of a lot of stagnation and so something like this gets brought to the table and it just feels so much more fun than like catch crash or expedition um stuff over and over again yeah where it's like they're they're taking the core elements of the game and trying to trying to twist it in some way that like oh i've never thought about playing destiny this way Mm -hmm. um and that's the cool part so uh i do like that uh i like i'm okay with the the wrathborn thing because ultimately those were always pitched as you know 
part of Zivu Wrath's army, so it makes sense that they would be back in some capacity. Absolutely. And in fact, those weird, like, twisty pillar things that come out um, are scattered all over the highest battlegrounds missions themselves, so it makes sense. Like, this is all Zivu Wrath related. I don't have a problem. Like, you know, people always get mad at reusing assets, and it's like, well, but at this point, we've established such a, a kind of cohesive universe where you you're going to have reused assets quote unquote because this has been established as the sort of signature of this enemy and like they're going to use this like this is their weapon so you're going to see it over and over again and as long as they kind of use it in interesting ways which i think they did right you're not doing wrathborn hunts you're just like you're seeing those those twisty tree things i don't remember what they're called but Mm -hmm. because that's what Zivu Wrath uses to like empower her hive enemies or whatever. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. it makes sense, and so it's cool to see those. Um, and yeah, like you said, you have to you have to kind of stand in the pool to break their shield. Again, minor mechanic, kind of interesting. It's fun, like you said, the little throwback to talking about his field report journals. That's cool. Um, I dig all of it. My one here's going to be my my one complaint. Uh, that opening area of the Archimedes mission. Yeah, sorely needs to be a PvP map. Uh, the just like the, the outdoor, like rocky outdoor. mountain. Yeah, yeah. like uh, it, we've been. I mean, I'm gonna put my PvP hat on for a minute. We've been dying and begging for new PvP maps for, well, literally years at this point, and people were making a big stink last season because they were reusing old lost sectors to do these like dungeon fights with the 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 cat you know the the pirates or whatever and i had no problem with that like okay we don't really have time to develop these things you're only going to use once and here we're doing this mission that we're only going to do once and they go through the effort to develop this super elaborate really nice looking landscape that to be honest kind of felt like an old halo map like i was talking to some of my clanmates and it's like this kind of like couldn't remember the name of it because literally been like almost a decade probably since I played some of those maps. But it's like, like, why aren't we getting PVP maps if they're going to go through the effort to make these like landscape areas that felt pretty vast like that, that area felt like it had some size to it. Uh, I just it bums me out that like, are we only going to play that area once and then never see it again? And it's like, if that's the case, then why even put it together? Like, it just the priorities seem odd that that would be my one complaint. And I know it's kind of like a weird stipulation, but it's like here, it's a really cool designed area where there's cover and rock formations. And it all kind of is in the service of the story elements of these towers. So you have these like keep out zones so you don't get blasted by the lasers. And it's like, okay, just take that make two symmetric versions of that stick them together and you have a PVP map. Like why aren't we, why aren't we getting things like that? Like it just shows that they can develop really cool areas, but then we get something like disjunction, which is like so bizarre. It just, it's weird. So that would be my <laughs> one complaint is turn that into a PVP map. Just like I, I still absolutely would have loved the idea if the Glycon, like after we cleared out, oh, yeah, if we had turned like the big high bay into a PVP map where it's like the, the backdrop would be awesome. Cause it's just outer space behind you. And if you fall off the side, that's it. You're done. But like 
you have these like you know there's like ships in the hangar and there's these platforms up above like why not just make a big hangar map in the glycon but instead devil's advocate I, they probably have to rework it so that it actually functions like an oh, actual PvP yeah. So they'd have to like, I mean, I don't know how much work it is to take a pre-existing area and then tweak it so that it like functions for a PvP work. I don't know if that is the equivalent of recreating it from the ground up or what. But I, 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 I guess they can't just like copy and paste an area and then be like, here's a crucible map. Because then, like, people who do play Crucible, they'll be like, oh, it doesn't work, spawns are bad, et cetera, et cetera. And there's probably, like, a, I don't personally know the science to creating, a, like, a functional PvP map, but I'm sure there's, and, like, and, and you're, something goes into it. You're absolutely correct. I, I completely understand and acknowledge that I don't know what goes into making a map. To play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate, <laughs> they have explicitly taken PvP maps and turned them into missions, like when we did the Devil's Ruin quest. They were able to make it so you just load up um, the where did the battle uh, the battle of six fronts take place? I can't think of that map right now, but you like uh, go around. And... Right. Wait, Twilight Gap? Yeah, Twilight that... Gap. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't remember that. But you go around scanning like the exo frames and it gives you that whole mission. So like you can just take areas and turn them into missions. So sure. but I feel like taking a PVE area because there's not like a whole lot of like science that goes into like making an open PVE area, right? With like the towers and everything. It's just it's just like a big open space with rocks to hide behind. But I feel right. like if you made a PVP area, there's like a bunch of other stuff that has to go into it to make it work. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cuz it's one thing to take like a crucible map and like a bunch of like exo bodies on there and call it a mission. Cuz that works. But I feel like if you took a, a pve area and just like put some spawns on there called it a day i feel like it wouldn't work out as well oh, cer- certainly the the balance aspect and spawn locations like obviously that takes time to iterate on sure but i was always under the impression like creating the assets and developing the actual landscape and the, was like the hard part the, yeah that was my understanding once once you have that, then it's just sticking That's spawn points. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, and, and I, I know I'm way, way, way oversimplifying something that's probably very complicated, <laughs> but like making a rock look like a rock seems more difficult than setting waypoints. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. but again, I I could be very, very wrong. Um, the the few map editors and asset things that I've played with over the years, uh, making the rock is way more difficult than actually deciding where saying, Hey, you you spawn here. If there's no other enemies nearby. Uh, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm probably making a jackass of myself and I do apologize. (laughs) All I'm getting at though, is like time went into developing this really, really cool landscape. And I would just love like, that the ins- at least the inspiration for the layout of that i would love to see translated into a pvp map and maybe that should be kind of the thesis of what i'm trying to say is just like the area that they built for this mission was really cool and they cleverly designed the cover 
to play into the keep out zones of the towers so they don't melt you as you're trying to kind of traverse and get to the bunker. Like someone there has a really cool idea of making the landscape work for the theme. And it just seems like iterating on that to turn it into a PVP map so that you use things like rocks and cover seems yes. plausible to do. Sure, sure. I, I think that would be really cool. I think something I want to see more maps, like big maps. And I don't know how practical this is for Destiny's sandbox, but in like Halo, like something like Blood Gulch or right. Valhalla or something would be super cool. Something yes. those like big open areas. That would be neat to see. Anyways, PvP rant over. Uh, yeah. Little teaser for uh, my another team. conversation. Yeah. Um, why is Rift in comp? Question you know, we may I, never have the answer I, to. I actually, I, I, so we, we won't go down the avenue of talking about comp yet and the changes made, but I, I have started playing comp. Um, I, for the record, am not a fan of the title Glorious, and I'm bummed out that <laughs> Unbroken can no longer be gilded, which I was, there was no indication that they were actually going to, like they said they were going to retire the seal the title, but they never indicated that you wouldn't be able to guild it anymore. So it's the first guildable title that's been retired, which bums me out because so um, I went through the effort to like unlock it so that I could continue to guild it at least. But anyway, I'm not a fan of the title glorious, but I was like, I'm going to play comp with all the new changes. I'm digging the actual like how the ladders work and all that stuff. But a lot of people were complaining like wise rift and comp for three V three. I think it actually works really well um, because you basically have a runner, someone playing offense and someone kind of playing defense. And so if you sure. have a really good team, it's kind of neat having those roles. Um, I don't know why disjunction is one of the maps for three V three comp. I think that's a horrible, horrible idea, but they added uh, Wormhaven as one of the rift maps, which is perfect because it's really small and it works well as a 3v3. And it, yeah, it goes pretty quick if your team is like not coordinated because it, the, the path from the getting the spark to actually dunking it is super short, like comically short. Um, but it shows that they took another symmetric map and made a rift map out of it. So that makes me happy. Um, but I actually liked Rift in Comp. That I think it it works well as like an objective, um, where like I I played some really good matches where there were some nail biter finishes, um, and Rift was actually pretty fun for that. So that was my short spiel about Comp and Rift. <laughs> um, and I I think it was a fun addition to add. Okay, fair enough. We will we'll dive into that later. But yes, I respect your opinion. So now that we've discussed the main activity, the like secondary activity, uh, let's talk about the story, if if you will. So the idea of this one is, I, I kind of said this at the beginning, but Ziva Wrath wants to take over Rasputin's network, and Osiris is back to life because of magical darkness soup. And we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and Anna Bray is trying to put Rasputin in a exo engram. And I kind of forget the reasoning, but they're like, 
you know who could help us with this? Oh, yes, they needed Clovis's help because of like he could hack into like Rasputin's codes or something. So right. they go talk to the grumpy old robot man and they recruit him onto their team. So Clovis is back. They put him in like an exo frame without arms or legs, which is which is convenient. And so right. he's just like he's got a little robot crane that he uses. He can go up and down. He can't go anywhere else. Yeah, I've heard I've heard people explicitly go back in and out of the room just to make him like crane over. <laughs> I've seen that. He just goes up and down. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, they recruit Clovis um, and they're trying to. What are they trying to do? Get like Rasputin data to. Well, what are they doing? <laughs> from, from my understanding, yeah. So Rasputin was putting in an engram at the beginning of Beyond Light. And Anna reveals that he's kind of like degrading, um, that it's like he's it's unstable for him to stay in there, which makes sense. Um, and yeah, she built that exo body. And it basically. She's having a difficult time getting Rasputin to like meld with it. And because Clovis Bray is sort of the foremost authority on exos and transferring intelligence um, to that, I think he's trying to. Why he needs to be in the body itself isn't quite clear to me yet. Um, <laughs> um, but it, like, people are people are pointing out like, is it really a good idea to take Clovis to put him on the helm where the where the crown of sorrow is and where the parts of Nezarak are? Like, like people are like, he's going to screw us over, isn't he? Like this this is what's going to be kind of the next iterative like downfall that leads into the events of like lightfall like my my prediction is we'll be able to save rasputin but like clovis bray is going to get in he's going to hack into the system somehow and and f some things up that's that's kind of my my prediction for how the season will end um yeah i wouldn't be surprised but uh yeah, so so he, yeah, he he's he's transferred his conscience or his AI self into the body that will eventually be used for Rasputin, I think, so that he can kind of like study it, work on his code, work on Rasputin's code, that is to say, and and try to get it to like properly adapt to the exo um frame. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's that's my understanding. Is yeah, that makes sense. I just because, remember yeah. for the life of me what we were doing week to week. Yeah, because it gets kind of well, that brings me to my next complaint. I and again, this will change at some point, but not only does the whole seasonal model affect the gameplay week to week, but it also affects the narrative because they've got to set up a concept slash plot that like you progress week to week. And like this time it's we got to go get Rasputin data every week check back next week so Clovis can get more stuff and then you right. go do the same thing and then you do it next week and it, it just it makes all of the seasons feel very similar in terms of plot structure because right. the plot structure is exactly the same for all of them yep. they're gonna they're gonna spoon feed you just just little bits and pieces of it but ultimately it's all in the service of you're doing the same thing so that you can check back in next week and maybe there's progress yeah it gets a little annoying but um besides that i mean the concept is cool i'm just glad to have like clovis interesting character i right. like osiris um we'll talk about him in a second yep. um, <laughs> anna's back i don't mind anna uh i've never been like a, a massive fan of her character but i don't mind her 
Uh, Marasov is back, which I'm very surprised because they usually like save her for things. She just comes and goes as right. she pleases in random moments. And then usually whenever she shows up, something's really important. So right. that's exciting. Uh, and I guess it makes sense that she's here. Uh, Mara is um, fighting with Zivu Arath, apparently, in like the Ascendant plane, kind of spinning out of Season of the Lost. Um, right. Because Zivu Arath is using like the ley line the Ascendant plane or to like mobilize her forces there. So they're going right. back and forth. Um, there's like a lore tab or two about them fighting. I think that the new exotic this season has a pretty good lore piece about them having like a little mental battle. It was pretty cool. But yeah, it's cool to have Mara there. I, I am surprised that Mara is so involved with us because normally she's very hands off unless right. it's absolutely necessary. So it's weird that she's playing like a side character in this and also like checking in with us with video messages and stuff. Cause it feels like she is very uncharacteristic of her. Yes. Cause in the past, she's always very much like I am doing my own thing. I do not care about you unless I need to use you as a tool. So we, we feels like we're kind of like in a partnership right now and it, it has that energy to it. So that's kind of interesting, but I will open the floor up to you to discuss your thoughts because I know what your thoughts are, but I'd like for you to share them on uh, the end of season of the plunder and Osiris's reintroduction. Yeah. So we, you, yeah, you and I kind of briefly talked about this. I was disappointed slashed slashed slash kind of confused on season of the plunder. Um, and how those events kind of led into this season. Um, I, I, I could be mistaken, but at no point was I aware that during season of the plunder that the intent was to take the parts of Nezarak and turn him into a T to bring back Osiris. <laughs> like, I, unless I missed that, like it didn't. Like it was just sort of like, hey, Aramis is going for these. We need to get them before she gets them. And it was kind of like, well, it's probably into the service of for the darkness. But like that seemed like that was the point of getting those those urns was to prevent Aramis from getting some power or evil from them. Uh, yeah. But then it's like, OK, now we have all of them. What are we going to do with them? And then it was like, a week before the next season starts, it's like, oh, they can be used as a T to bring back Osiris, which had never been mentioned to my knowledge or understanding the entire season. Um, and it was it was cool that we brought him back. It just kind of felt like it should have been brought up as like as as the season was going on to like incentivize us or like like maybe even halfway through uh Misrax tells Saint 14 like hey maybe there's a way we could bring Osiris back and then like Osiris gets on the comms and is like yeah let's let's go let's go prevent these guys from from getting these and let's let's get those urns you know just to to give some kind of like reason or or encourage us to to have all of that it just it felt like at the 11th hour it's like oh we got to bring Osiris back like well we got this MacGuffin that we've been pursuing this whole time like let's make them merge together and and there there you go they were that was what we could do all along and it just kind of felt like i don't remember that being discussed so that was like my only complaint was like 
is that what we were trying to do all along or just conveniently you could mash up old man parts and turn it into a T uh, to take someone out of a coma. Like it just, it felt weird. Yeah, um, and, and an un called for, or it like it, 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 if that was the intent, it should have been hinted at or led up to more of that all along. Um, now maybe there's going to be some repercussion because now we like Osiris has essence of Nezarak in him or something. And, you know, maybe eventually that'll corrupt him or something. And that would be interesting, but it just felt like there should have been a little more, uh, of a, of an indication of that, um, throughout the season to kind of like have it all make sense at the end. So that final cutscene was like, Oh, that was the point. Um, yep. I didn't hate it. I just kind of was a little confused. Like, like I, I felt like I had missed something throughout the entire season that was just like but to my knowledge there was no hint that that was the intent it just yep. kind of worked I, out I think you're right I think it was just a deus ex machina situation right? yeah just, perfect yeah perfectly said that's how it felt yeah because I, I think that's totally what it is here's a very convenient solution to a problem that we, we, we just didn't discuss like right this is just what's going to happen because this is what we need to happen. So yeah, I didn't like that either, but what do you think of having Osiris back? Do you, do you like having him back as a character? Do you like his interactions with Clovis and Anna? Yeah, he's, he's definitely got that. So I really liked, um, that first transmission where Osiris is like, what do you, how do you like your tea? Dude. Um, I that was, that was cool. That conversation so much. Yeah, I really, really liked it. Where he kind of gets a little intense, where he's like, "I, I used to not pay attention, and I was kind of a dick." And look at like for the longest time we were separated, and you know it, it, you know means something. And then it's like, so I'm going to ask you again, how do you want your tea? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just really cool. Uh, I I liked that interaction, and I I always like those little dialogue things where it just builds character across um very cool i'm gonna interrupt Uh, you really quick i have it written down i'm gonna just read his last oh please do please do so after after they talk right they're talking about the coffee and tea and whatever and his last little thing that he says to anna before um before that before it ends he says your work will outlive you the people around you might not one day you're going to wake up, assuming you've slept at all, and realize that the world is a very different place than the last time you remember to look at it. You will abruptly, viscerally regret the absence of something as small as a single cup of tea. So I ask you again, what would you like to drink? It's such a good line. I loved that yeah. conversation. It was awesome. Yeah, th- thank you for actually. I'm glad that you, you wrote it down. Uh, I did. I actually liked it that yeah. much. I was like, wow, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, I was, I, you know, because... Sometimes I'll listen to those. I'm like, yeah, 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 I kind of zone out. And then it was like, oh, this is actually this is intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was very heartfelt and and nice. And again, it it. Reminds us that we're in this very complex world with with these. You know, these these characters um, mm-hmm. that have. Feelings and and stories and life to them and it again it adds some humanity um ironically even to a robot um (laughs) so yeah no i i thought that was really cool um and i'm like very excited for whatever future 
iterations we'll get because I, I hope there's more of that kind of stuff. Um, and 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 these are always cool because it's like we've never really had a Osiris and um, Anna interaction to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so too. so it's kind of neat to get that. And it always is like, you know, what what permutation of characters can we get? And, you know, what are their what are they going to be their priorities and things like that? And, and so it's kind of cool. Yeah, um, I, and love, even, I love mixing and matching. Yeah, and even, even kind of, I'm I'm sure there's lore cards, but sort of, how do I want to say this? Like the Saint Fourteen was just sort of gone in in the depths of time for however long. <laughs> yeah, and and like you know what was what was Osiris's kind of interpretation of that time versus like how long Saint 14 because like for Saint 14 it could have been for how many lifetimes was he stuck in these quarters of time versus you know what what Osiris's perception of that time and so you don't really kind of get any kind of sense of what at least to my knowledge, there's probably a lore book somewhere that kind of expresses this or goes into detail. But like, it's kind of interesting to me to think about like, um, do each of them have a different sense of how long they were away from the other person? Because Saint Fourteen was literally like traveling through time for that entire period. Like, did they both perceive like, let's say it was fifty years that they were separated? Did they both perceive it as 50 years or did Saint 14 perceive it as like millennia? Um, yeah. And maybe, and maybe that's why it's like it was so tough for Saint 14 because here he's finally back. And then what's like a year and then Osiris goes into this coma. And so it's like obviously like that's got to be really, really hard on Saint 14 versus like would that would that if those roles were reversed, would that be like not as intense? I don't know. Just it, it kind of F's, F's with the mind a little bit when you when you think about some of these things and like oh, totally once you start bringing like personal relationships into all of it, it always gets a little like. More, you know, again, these are this is like humanity and and we are kind of getting to this climax of, you know, I, I predict there's somebody's going to die or a couple people are going to die in these next, like in lightfall and, and final shape. And like, what is that really going to mean to the whole outcome of, of, of these people that we've kind of known to love over the last decade almost? Yeah. So. Yeah, seriously. So I, I guess this isn't so much a complaint as it is. A, I'm curious to see how this season's going to end, but as of now, it doesn't really feel like a lead up to Lightfall. It doesn't feel like, I don't know, intense enough or related enough. Because, like, I guess to compare it to Season of the Lost, we literally had Savathun, you know, the Witch Queen imprisoned, and we're talking to her every week and et cetera, et cetera. So that felt like very much like a direct lead up, very much important. I'm not really sure what you know, bringing Rasputin online has to do with Lightfall yet. But I guess we'll, well see. Well, I think well in the first cutscene, didn't uh, Osiris talk about in he had a vision of Neptune. So like we already know we're going to like in the game, we already know we're going to Neptune because that's where 
our dreams were. And at the end of season of the haunted, you know, we got the, the callous ascended to, you know, being a disciple. So like, I think the pieces were already kind of like, like we already know in game what, what to expect. Uh, I agree with you that I think season of the lost was like a way better buildup where it's like literally the first mission that we got at the start of the season is we encounter Savathun, we encase her in carbonite and then she's just there taunting us for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of led perfectly into the next season. Um, I, I think it's like because of the way the narrative is already kind of laid out. We've already kind of gotten that. Like we know Callus is, is going to be a threat. We know we need to go to Neptune. That's fair. I, I to be honest, I kind of missed, I missed the line about Osiris's dreams being Neptune. Cause I was I playing the dungeon and no, that makes perfect sense. Cause I was playing the dungeon. He's like, Oh, is this where our, my, my visions were leading me to, or some, a line along those lines. And I didn't really know what visions he was talking about. I okay. think I missed the line about Neptune along the way somewhere. That might have been a plunder thing. No, he was dead the entire time. Um, I guess I just missed it. But that makes perfect sense. And okay, so that makes makes it a little better. Because then then there's at least some sort of tie. And you're right. Ed, everything has been building up to this casping and a disciple. Um, I don't know. Maybe the Nezarek thing will play into it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But which I so that was kind of an argument that I had made at the beginning, which I'll actually kind of rescind on was well, not at the beginning of this podcast, but kind of, you know, as we were talking about preparation for Witch Queen. And I I was kind of like, man, I hope the seasons kind of have a more cohesive throughput. And I think we're actually kind of seeing that now. In. In hindsight, where we have. You know, the haunted was all about, um, callous and all of that, and then leading into the previous season with plunder and how that helps out Osiris, and we find out that he had visions, and now Osiris is kind of like, hey, the war mind is somehow relevant. Like it, it, it at least feels a little bit more like there was an attempt to tie each of the seasons together, or at least bits and pieces of them have some kind of relevance to the next event. Because like before we had season of the lost, we had season of the splicer. And I don't see how any of that was really relevant to the witch queen or season of the lost. Other than we finally confronted what was the Coria or whatever. Coria, yeah. Which like that was related to Zivu Wrath, not necessarily Sabbath. So was it? I thought, I thought, Oh, this is where I get confused, but I thought Coria was under the control of Savathun. I could be wrong. Maybe you're and right. It, and, I, and it could, I guess, I would argue that part of the throughput of that past one was Osiris being a, you know, possessed by Savathun the entire three seasons or whatever it was. That's true. That that also kind of felt like that's true. I guess it was like, they were like turning the, they're kind of up tearing everything like affecting Lakshmi with the, you know, influencing Lakshmi to, to do the portal thing. I guess you're right. I don't know. 
but that's fine. I mean, I, I guess I, I think part of their design philosophy is to seasons distinct from one another. Yeah. And so there's a different theme every time. So they jump around to various different things. And oftentimes it ends up making it feel disconnected, which is fair. I think that's a, that's a fair criticism. Yeah. I, I think it probably though at the end of season lost, it all kind of somewhat came together. And I'm, I'm assuming like as this, as the season goes on, there's going to be aha moments. Um, yeah. So we'll just, just have to see what they are for sure. I had a question that I, maybe you could answer. How does Mara know Zivu Wrath is working for the witness. Did I miss that at some point? Is that another thing I missed? <laughs> well, there was the one dialogue with her, and I'm trying to remember what she said. I think there's some explanation, or at least maybe she like deduced. It's probably in season lost or something. Because in this season, she just kind of like starts off. She's like, "Yeah, do you arrest working for the witness?" You know, we don't want her to do anything on behalf of the witness. I'm like, she's working for the witness. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but like, I, I didn't notice. That. And is where we need like a lore master. I'm pretty yeah, right. sure. I'm pretty sure it was explained in something, either in the Witch Queen campaign or during Season Lost or something. Yeah. Um, maybe and during Season of the Haunted. That's possible. So despite the fact that I'm sitting here like kind of lost and confused with some things and just like not being able to keep up with a lot of the different plot developments, I will say I'm very much glad that they're going all in on this sort of thing and making the story essentially completely inaccessible to anyone who's like jumping into it right away and really just like treating the story like all of its viewership is has been like in on this since the beginning. I, I, I actually appreciate that they're taking all this lore stuff, you know, everything that's been written down by these fantastic authors and everything. And really just making it a cohesive thing. I really appreciate that. Even if I can't keep up sometimes, I'm glad oh, yeah. it this way. Yeah, I know. And it, it, I think it's inevitable when a game like this goes on for this long that as a new person you're gonna be lost yeah it's the same it's like a tv show right i mean you can't just jump in on season seven and expect to understand what's happening right and and it definitely there's maybe an argument to be made that at a certain point it's going to be not sustaining in terms of like new player engagement and retention although like look at robbie right he started playing beyond light and he picked it up you know if 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 the game kind of gets its hooks in you then you will invest that time in watching lore videos and reading reading those things and being caught up but i agree that it's it's nice to be rewarded as well to see all of these things and get all of these interactions and appreciate why it's kind of a neat idea that you know, Anna Bray and Osiris are having this conversation about something seemingly trivial, like, you know, what kind of drink do you want to have? Um, but it's all of the implications of 
these characters being developed over the last few years and sort of like, oh, there's actually meaning behind this conversation more than just, oh, I'm getting, I'm unlocking this lore book for a triumph. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all very satisfying and I agree. it's awesome and exciting to see where this is all going. Like, I think there's no doubts that the story has only been getting better literally since day one. Um, yep. Every, every little tidbit has been building off of it. The, 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 the people at Bungie that develop all the, the narrative and the story and all that, like should be very proud of, of the thing that they've produced. This is truly one of the most absurd, nerdy, like lore things that I've ever spent time trying to like, understand and and engage and bask in its nerdy glory beyond like star wars that's like yep. the only other thing that i've invested that much time into like knowing this many like caveat things because it's so interesting and fun to see it all play out week to week so yep the people who make this story are clearly very passionate and it's exciting to see them just be at work and everything. Yep. It feels like when they bring in like all of this, like deep lore stuff all the time and they make references to that and they have the giant interconnected narrative with all this stuff. It feels like your time as your investment, like emotional and otherwise as a viewer, I suppose of this story is respected in that sense. And it's a very rewarding feeling. Like he said, um, I mean, that's why, I mean, people are very invested in this stuff and spend a lot of time and energy uh, reading and exploring this, like, vast world they've created. And that's why everyone was, like, creaming their pants when Coria showed up for the first time. Right. uh, Since she was introduced in a random piece of text on Bungie.net seven years ago. Right. Um, Because people are invested in it. And so it's exciting to see them recognize that and explore that and etc etc right so moving on to the new weapons and armor stuff specifically the weapons because the weapons are more exciting um we got some new stuff so seventh serif weapons are back yep iclos weapons are back in the form of getting them back from caches actually uh the ones from warmind where they would play a little russian music and you'd go open them and find them so those are back uh seventh serif weapons are back there's some new stuff uh which has a very cool visual aesthetic, I think. It's like this cool blend between like utilitarian, realistic stuff and also the Warmind-esque right. future weapons. Um, but it all feels very like human and as opposed to like the previous season, with, which was very elixney focused and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like half pirate, half fallen. Yeah, exactly. Right. This feels much more grounded in reality. Which I like. Um, What's your favorite piece of loot you've gotten this season so far? Um, Or one that sticks out to you? Yeah, no, I definitely think... So there's a new... You know me and my fusion rifles. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a new Amalon stasis fusion rifle that I've gotten a couple rolls on. Nothing exciting yet. Uh, It's a 960 which bums me out because those are in a horrible state right now, which we won't talk about, or 980, 
whatever mm-hmm. the charge rate is. We don't talk about that. Uh, I do. I do like the design. I like the Amalon fusion rifles. That's pretty cool. Uh, but definitely the pulse rifle, not the ritual one, but the I think it's called post not posterity. Oh, I'm I don't have dim open, so I can't like reference it. Yeah, right. Um, I, I pulled open my like companion app to like reference right. stuff, and I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> right. But it's it's the hockey one, and it's stasis, and it's a four burst. So it's awesome. I like the four burst uh, pulse rifles, and it's got a ridiculous uh, loot pool, and it's craftable. So it's cool. Um, the the roll I got's not particularly amazing. It's feeding or it's a rapid hit frenzy, but it's like it it just it's kind of one of those like it's a workhorse type thing. So it just feels good to use, and it's fun. Um, the new glaive, which I'm also blanking on the name, um, has a really cool perk on it that basically if you get a kill with the projectile, it increases the melee damage and then getting subsequent melee kills keeps that buff up, um, which is awesome because I like using the melee aspect of glaives a lot more than the projectile part. And so it's kind of nice. Like it's neat to see the glaives are getting some love and getting some new perks on them. In addition to like all the other new perks that we've gotten, none of the new perks have really stood out to me besides that one on the glaive, but I haven't gotten a whole lot of them yet. Um, and as always, like you kind of wait for some of the content creators to, to play around with some of the new ones and tell you which are, which are worth kind of investing time into and all that. And sure. Um, but yeah, I think, the the short answer is that new pulse rifle is pretty nifty um and it feels good so yeah i'm with you too i thought the pulse rifle felt good i have no like i don't know technical feedback for it but i just know it feels good and yeah. it looks cool i i love like the laser sights on everything yeah for sure like every weapon's got a laser sight and glaive for some reason <laughs> yes yeah the the weird thing about the glaive is that it's a hockey brand glaive yeah, which doesn't make any sense because you and I were talking about this. Like, I always thought the 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 glaive itself was meant to be like darkness technology or something, right? Because like Nezarek's yeah. whisper was a gift from the witness, and um, or Nezarek. Well, the enigma was the gift from the witness, I think. Right and to then, us in the pyramid. Yeah, and then the Nezarek's thing was from Season of the Haunted. Right, but I mean, I think the lore behind that is. Oh, was it actually his that? That glaive, I think, was like gifted to him by, oh, gifted to Nazareth oh, by yeah, the yeah, disciple yeah. Okay. of the witness or something like that. And then Lubre's ruin is another, right? Which is obviously a darkness related thing. Um, so yeah, it's like every glaive we've gotten has been darkness related, right? And then it's just like, oh, this weapon foundry, by the way, is also in the business of making glaives. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it felt a little weird, but now that I think about it. What are the exotic glaives called? I don't I don't know. I've literally never used them. So. Edge of Concurrence is one of them. That does not look human. An echo of an ancient weapon forged from ambition. I don't think that's that's probably a uh, darkness related thing too. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it is. Okay. It talks about sword logic and stuff in the lore. Okay. So it's definitely weird. Yeah. Why would Hake of all companies be like, let's just start making glaives? I guess it, it kind of takes away from, I don't know, the mystery 
and like yeah. appeal of the weapon. I agree. Because that was like part of its identity to begin with. Right. It's like, oh, this is a weird special thing. And so, a little odd. But I do find I it hilarious that it has a laser sight on it. Yes. It's primarily a melee Which, weapon. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but it's cool. <laughs> it's a neat aesthetic. But... Absolutely. Um, have you got any good rolls on the new Iclos? Or not new Iclos weapons. Reissued Iclos weapons, I should say. Uh, I've not gotten Volt Shot, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> um, no, I haven't got not... We know not, Robbie got a little shot. There, I don't know. <laughs> not really. I, I've gotten a couple of them, but I, I don't. You know, war mind cells have kind of come and gone, and so like I think they're neat. Um, I never really got a good Icolos anything before, so I'm excited that we'll be able to actually craft them. Um, and so I'll kind of play around with them, but I'm not. Like, I've got one of each of them in my vault from, like, way back when, and I literally never use them. So now I'll have crafted versions that I'll probably never use. But someday, if they ever make Warmind Cells relevant again, then I'll have them. Um, but, uh, like, I don't like the 180 hand cannons. Not a huge SMG fan. The sniper rifle's pretty cool. I do like the shotgun. Um, I like, I mean, that was the original trench barrel beast. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of see and play around with that. I got like an incandescent subsistence roll, which is kind of cool, but, but uh, yeah, it's just fun to like, you know, at the beginning of the season, just any new weapon that you get is like, Oh, what perks did I get? It's just kind of fun to screw around with just new weapons. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the Echolos shotgun. I enjoy having back. That was yes. my favorite of the Echolos weapons. So definitely. That one's cool. And I'll bring up the dungeon again. Those are part of the dungeon loop pool. Correct. Or is that just the seventh seraph one? The seventh seraph, and there's just the carbine and the the service revolver. Interesting. And okay, they're we'll both pretty anticlimactic. But yeah, we'll save that for the dungeon discussion. Interesting. All right. So unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So thank you guys for hopping on and listening to us. And please join us next time for our Spire of the Watcher deep dive episode. Peace out. Put this voice recording away and go on with your life, because you and I both know you'd have me yapping in your ear for the rest of your days. Want to further the discussion? Get in touch with us at any of our Twitter handles, all of which can be found in our podcast description. <laughs>